Welcome to Splash Play, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we have reactions to the NFL schedule being released, how it is going to impact your upcoming fantasy season. And of course, Spags, today we launch our rewatch of Playmakers, the maligned ESPN series. If there's anything out there that we know, the one way to stir up fan interest in 2021 is to dig into a show from 18 years ago that <laughs> honestly some of the people who watch Splash Play may, may never have even heard of, but that's what we're going to do today. And I'm excited to talk about it, Pete. So let's hit that intro and get right to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. I am Chris Spaggs, joined once again by a man who you are seeing this stream on his channel, just to our Splash Play channel, so you know who he is, but he's Peter Overzet. How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing good, man. I uh, I watched Playmakers uh, this morning, uh, and I'm, I'm very excited. It is so over the top, but uh, it actually captured my interest. Like I almost started rolling into episode two. So yeah, I'm excited to do our, our rewatch series here on Splash Play. And it is also a big week. We got the NFL schedule release and, and our pal Pete here did meticulous combing through the entire schedule. Uh, so we're going to just borrow some of the work he did for other places and do that today. Uh, lots to talk about. So make sure you guys are hitting that like button. If you're watching on YouTube, no matter what channel you're watching on, if it's a Splash Play channel or Peach channel, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. And of course, make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod. That is where we are giving out uh, not only just what we're doing on the week, announcing the show time. So we are pretty much locked in on this Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. West Coast time time frame for right now but uh, we are following back everyone as well on the at splash play pod handles on twitter and instagram so check those out throw them a follow and make sure you're subscribed as well on apple podcasts or spotify that's where we need your help the most go subscribe on those channels if you can throw us five stars and a review and there are all the plugs that we have to get to but pete it's nfl week one is upon us the lines i know were a big tar- uh, topic of conversation where i know from our, our folks over at Osmo, a lot of people searching for nfl week one lines trying to get into the mix and place those bets early so i'll ask you pete i know you did your research but did you place any bets for yourself here i know you are a long-term best ball guy but any any skin into the game for futures or i guess those week one bets you know i have not because of the schedule i did place some futures on super bowl uh a few weeks ago i believe i grabbed the 49ers and the chargers were some of the long odds that I like. So I grabbed those, um, with the schedule being released, I've been more thinking about it through the lens of fantasy now having the extra week, um, how that's going to impact playoffs, looking at where some of these late bye weeks fall. We have a lot of buys in weeks 13 and 14, which is obviously going to come at crucial times, depending on how your league decides to structure its playoffs. So I think that's where I've been with that. Have you been actually betting some of these week one lines? Well, I, so I'm not a state with legal betting in California, and I'm still not in. I've gotten money out of betting accounts before, and it took enough of a hassle that I'm still I'm really one of the only people out there, which sucks because I have the information now from the doing the work every day. And I'm doing shows with honestly, one of the guys that do shows with Ben Ross one of the sharpest prop bettors out there. But I don't have legal betting. And for me, I'm just not like I'm not that into it to go and try to find ways to do that right now. I don't have enough Bitcoin either. And I feel like betting Bitcoin just seems like a bad idea, even <laughs> when it does tank. Uh, so that's where I am with my bet. But I'm following it closely. And I think a lot of the lines were uh, to me for week one I, was the only stuff that I looked at with any depth were interesting. And the thing that I liked were the MVP futures where uh, I know you might disagree on this, Pete, but I am very bullish on both Matt's this year. I think Matt Stafford and Matt Ryan both have a viable pathway to being MVPs. 
Yeah, I, I'm still, I'm definitely more, I would say, on the Stafford uh, than the Ryan, but I get uh, both of them. My concern would be that the Falcons defense just isn't going to be good enough for the team to kind of be in the MVP, you know, conversation collectively. Whereas I could see the Rams just having, I really do think they're going to have the Buccaneers type season this year with Stafford playing the role of Brady and with all those new weapons. So yeah, I love the uh, the Stafford call. So is there anything, I know you did your research, were there any fun data points? Because you are doing the newsletter for Matthew Berry, and obviously he is a man who loves uh, his numerology. And also, is there anything that really jumped out from you from whatever research that you did do of the overall schedule? Yeah, so I thought it was interesting. Both Mike Clay and Warren Sharp had released some strength of schedule stuff, looking at the teams with the easiest schedules, the hardest schedules. They have some uh, overlap, and so I thought that's probably where there's the most signal if both of their models are pointing in the same direction there. Um, both seem to agree that the 49ers have one of the easiest schedules out there, the Dolphins and the Bucks, both of them in agreement on those. The hardest schedules, uh, the Bengals, surprisingly, which is interesting because the Bengals are kind of the darlings of best ball drafting right now. Everyone's loving loading up on them. The Lions have uh, one of the harder schedules, which does not bode well for them considering how much talent they have lost this offseason. And then what's the other one there? The Steelers have a very tough schedule. So I thought those were kind of interesting as, you know, people already starting to do drafts. It definitely is going to give me a little pause, you know, when I'm thinking about some of those stacks, knowing how those schedules shake out. Yeah, I think to me, the one thing that is sort of tough to prognosticate, and it was something that I noticed with the Lions for week one, where like there were games that had over 50 implied totals. And the one that I'm really thinking of is the Cardinals versus the Texans week one, where that one's actually starting to be come down a little bit yesterday. I think it was at 52 and a half or the other day was at 52 and a half now down to 51 and a half on DK Sportsbook. And I think there are some lines. I know this is something where. Uh, I don't necessarily, I'm not betting it with my money, so I can't personally advocate that much. But I do think if you're a person willing to take on some risk, a lot of these lines were a bit inefficient to start the year, I think. And um, like two running teams combining for over a 50 total, I think is just not uh, the most efficient line. So I don't mind taking some of those unders here. But I think the main thing is that we could talk about with this, Pete, generally is that we just don't know anything until training camp and preseason starts. And you can sort of make your guesswork and all of that. Um, and I do think there is some value in making guesswork on bets right now. But um, for the most part, anybody telling you otherwise, I think is going to be uh, mostly full of shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. I obviously during the season, if it's if you have your own models and you move quickly earlier in the week, you can get some closing line value. No one beats closing lines in the NFL. It's just too hard, too efficient. So yeah, I am not one of those people, but uh, you know, if you have access to, uh, you know, Mike Clay uh, or Warren Sharp stuff, maybe you can move quickly. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting here as it pertains to fantasy is how the fantasy leagues are going to handle this. Now that we're going to week 18, I think a lot of like the ESPN default stuff is going to be like double weeks through the fantasy playoffs maybe where it might be like weeks uh what would it be 18 and 17 would be the championships 16 15 the semis and 13 14 the first week um it seems like some of that's undivided i know with the high stakes playoffs they your individual league playoffs are weeks 12 and 13 so you're going to have a lot of buys in those ranges, which is, you know, when you're going to need your guys the most. So um, I think that's going to be really interesting. And obviously you have to factor in, you know, if I draft Christian McCaffrey and I know I'm not going to have him in one of my week 14 matchups there, um, or I believe he's week 13. I mean, that hurts. And then week 14, four teams on by Colts, Dolphins, Eagles, and the Patriots. So 
there are going to be landmines here depending on how your playoffs shake out. It's one of those things where I normally don't love looking too deep into, you know, the schedule and all that and being too forward looking because I I think for the most part, you can sort of talk yourself out of situations that are going to be more positive than not because it's the NFL. Things go wild every single year. We know how that goes with guys getting ruled in, ruled out, guys getting injured that you don't expect. Um, just teams getting completely sabotaged from the, you know, really the start of the games kicking off. And I would say to me that this is one year, right? I think what you're saying, Pete, like, Going a little heavier on being forward thinking is probably the more plus EV approach where whether it be just the actual league structure, like how is week 18 going to be any better than week 17 has been for forever now? Like what players are still going to be resting there. There still won't be, will be questionable motivations and all of that. Um, so I would worry about that part a little bit, but I agree with your take though. Like if you have guys that are just going to be on by during when your league's playoffs, knowing that going in, it sounds like a kind of a stupid thing to say, but knowing the rules and knowing the structure of the league, I think is going to be just more plus EV than people going in and just kind of treating it the same way it's been every year, because clearly it's not the same as it's been every year. Yeah, I mean, I've learned that lesson the hard way in the high stakes leagues, the FFPC, because it's more of an abbreviated regular season where you're already in your league playoffs weeks 12 and 13. Like, you know, I was always building these teams that were trying to get really strong for the playoffs, but if you don't have a good enough record to get there, it doesn't matter. So I have been prioritizing fast starts more lately. And I think looking at this schedule stuff, you know, getting one of those teams that have a buy later in the season um, can be helpful. um, Just knowing you're going to get all all of those points early, rack up the wins, and then know maybe you uh, have some cushion by the time the buys hit. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think definitely there's going to be uh, layers of strategy there. And I would say just really to anybody out there, try to not let the layers of strategy trip you up too much to me is the main thing. Like if you like a play, don't go like, oh, he's week 17. He's got a tough matchup against the Niners. I don't want to be there. Like that to me is the level of depth that I wouldn't go into. But knowing your guys are going to be available for whenever your league's playoffs will be. And a question I would have for you, Pete, I don't know if you're commissioner of any season long leagues. I still am the one of my my high school friends that's been going on for forever. Like, I don't want to play week 18. And I don't even know that I want to play week seven but I do like the idea of having a two-week playoff situation, I guess, be a part of it. But how would you structure that if you're a league commissioner out there for somebody who's um, trying to keep together a league by duct tape and sheer hopes and dreams? (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. I don't want to have anything on week 18. Uh, I think, you know what? I I think maybe I do like the idea of incorporating like a two-week thing. Maybe, Maybe it is for those teams that sneak into the playoffs or everyone who's playing. So like the good teams, the one and two seeds still get the buy. You still have your championship week 17, the semis week 16, and then maybe it's weeks 14 and 14 and 15 for the teams without the buy. And they do a two week playoff. The only issue then is, is like, well, what about the good teams? Then they're taking two weeks off essentially. And then, you know, people like having action. So I'm not sure what the perfect solution is. What, what are you leaning to? I think that's what I would go for. I think what you're saying sounds about right to me. I think it's something where like, I just want to see what the rest of everybody is doing and try to get a read from that. Cause I do believe there's going to be some wisdom of the crowds on how to approach just really everything. Your approach is both a league commissioner, your approach for building the teams and all that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's just a lot of wrinkles to this that uh, maybe give you more of an edge in a season long league. If you are somebody who's trying to play some of the high stakes one or do uh, some of the best balls out there, I think uh, maybe more of an edge, but I guess the other part is that the sharper players are going to be in anything out there, whether it be the under, dog or the FFPCs or any of those like the sharper players are going to have already figured this out so I think there's it's always some cause for concern when things are new I think when things are new there's always a bit of an edge those first three weeks of the NFL season I think are the best uh, case in point of that uh, but I think 
I just feel like people are going to figure it out and I'm just going to be like, I don't fucking, I'll be left holding <laughs> my dick basically. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully there's like a consensus. Um, it, it's, I feel like in fantasy, we've been in this weird spot too, where there hasn't necessarily been a consensus on st- standard and PPR scoring everything, you know, and more like expert leagues and hardcore leagues has trended towards that towards PPR. Same thing with super flex, you know, still the ESPN, the standards are the one QB. We're slowly moving to it, but you go read articles about advice and it's like, well, what are the league settings? You know, that really, impacts what you're doing there so hopefully we'll get kind of a consensus on how people are doing these playoffs here soon um the only other nugget that was interesting to me i feel like the chiefs and the cardinals their buy in week 12 is like the perfect time because it allows for the fast start but you still avoid um the playoff landmines depending on when your league starts so as if people needed any more incentive to draft chiefs and cardinals uh, i do like how their schedule lines up so basically you're saying AJ Green stock soaring right now. <laughs> so AJ Green's the guy that gets you off to the fast start for two weeks. And then uh, he does the Larry Fitzgerald fade, which is like a known thing. Every year, Larry Fitzgerald, first five weeks, you get tricked into trading for him. And then you realize he's 55 years old and, and falls off. <laughs> Poor AJ Green. I hope he has a good year in that Cardinal scene. That's probably still going to be running it down everybody's throats. But I think that sort of covers everything I have here. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about this over the next of the next few weeks because we're doing this podcast uh, pretty much every week here until the season starts. So I'm sure we can find more ways to squeeze content out of the great debate about how to approach these leagues. Maybe we'll even just do a, an optimal league settings episode just to fill time, Pete. But any other thoughts for yourself, I guess, before we move on to the Playmakers deep dive here? We are, we are by the way, going to go real deep with the recap. So that's why we're allotting a lot of time for it. Yeah, I mean, just a few other kind of fun oddities uh, about the schedule. Week four is interesting. We get the uh, the number one picks, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow scoring off. Also in week four is Tom Brady's revenge game to Foxborough. And I guess people have been looking at his pace stats for when he'll surpass Drew Brees for the all-time passing record. And it perfectly lines up pace-wise for that to happen at Foxborough in week four. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um Week seven is going to be rough for fantasy. Six teams are on by that week. Um, when you look at the bye week schedule, there's not like an even distribution. So week seven is going to be a rough one. And then a couple more revenge games, Cam Newton revenge week nine against the Panthers. And then we also have uh, Sam Darnold uh, week one gets his revenge yeah. early there uh, versus the Jets. Oh, so I, I like that you think you have the optimism. Cam Newton will still be starting by then, by the time week nine rolls around. That's actually a very good line, I feel like. I feel like week nine for the Mac Jones versus Cam uh, is is pretty good. I, I don't, I'm just not that much of a Mac Jones fan. Like, and Bill Belichick has been pretty stubborn, you know, with his backup quarterbacks over the years. So I don't know. That one will be interesting. Yeah, I think, well, I think we might disagree on this one. And it might be something that I've made to this point, exact point on the show. But I think Mac Jones being a system QP at Bama going into another system that hopefully will will guide him to be the best version of himself. I, I gives me hope here. And I think the fact that he's just not going to be throwing ground balls at his wide receivers, probably from day one, like Cam will gives me some hope that Mac Jones starts. But uh, ho- hopefully for Cam, for his sake, he does get to that revenge game. Um, and that is uh, those are a couple of matchups. I do feel like the battle of the number ones really hard to imagine Joe Burrow not winning that one. And I feel like that'd be a massive disappointment if he didn't yeah um yeah i i think cam will be the quarterback if he stays healthy um but the question is will he stay healthy yeah i that is a big question and a big question too if he can get that completion rate above 50 percent, i think is what we're really hoping for for cam this year um anything else you want to hit on or should we just dump it to the playmakers part 
Let's jump into uh, playmakers. I think uh, there can be some more interesting conversation around schedule with, like you were saying, best ball, like trying to figure out some of the late season matchups, trying to optimize for winning, you know, million dollar prize pools. But uh, I think we've covered it here. I do have to say there's a chance that I, I pitched something to Osmo, so we'll see how it goes. And no spoilers here, but I did pitch you in a daily best ball show where I just draft a, a team every day with whatever um, whatever guests, I don't know, or, or, co- or co-hosts that I would have on there. Um, so I'm hoping that's something they approve because I also asked them to foot the bill on the entries. So I think because <laughs> I would like, I would not play five best ball teams a week. Otherwise, Pete. So I feel like that's only reasonable. I think it's fair. Yeah. I added my show on Monday mornings, uh, drafting an underdog, uh, mania team. And, uh, yeah, man, it, it, the problem is, is you get addicted, like you said, and then you're looking at your bill and I'm like, I'm on pace to max this out. And when I do the math, do I have, you know, that kind of money to max it out? But I, I think I'm just resigned to doing that because I love drafting them so much. Use promo code Pete. <laughs> That's actually uh, an interesting thing too, because like that sh- that has to be a write off, right? Like gambling usually not a write off, but if you're doing it as the exact baseline of the show, like it has to be a write off. Yeah, I've, I was talking to Jack Settleman about this. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it I think it technically is if you are doing it for content. Uh, yeah, let's write it off. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I've been I'm doing all my DK entries every day and FanDuel entries for a thousand dollars pop, all for the name of content too. So I would like that to be known for any IRS people watching the stream. Though <laughs> I don't know if you saw, there was a Twitter trending topic about like I guess people are less likely to get audited this year because the IRS has nobody available to do audits. So that's um, fun fact. Keep in mind that I I got my news solely from Twitter trending topics, and I have to assume it's clearly credible. <laughs> Look at now, everyone's starting a show, so <laughs> just uh, you're just Periscope streaming, uh, just so you can uh, get the tax benefits. I do remember when I was first starting up, like my my website Guyism from uh, many years ago. That's like, at this point only known for being Katie Nolan's first stop before her or millions and millions of dollars of career at ESPN. And um, one of the things that like we had debated there was like the the write offs for content and all of that. And I think the one thing my account said was you can lose money on a Schedule C for like two years, but then after year three is when like they'll start to look at it weird so if you're making money like pete is making money hand over fist to the deposit kingdom and his merchant all of that like that's easier to write off than when you make no income and you're like by the way also i do a show that makes no money and i'm writing it off <laughs> yeah um this show is not financial advice uh please talk to your accountant <laughs> before you launch your own best ball show <laughs> <laughs> yeah keep that i will be honestly might be launching the best ball show this weekend when i review my taxes before they go in I, i'm sure you did yours bright and early pete i have not done mine and my plan is to do them either saturday or sunday <laughs> Yeah, I did get mine done and it was it was a nightmare and it was more like giving me stress thinking about this coming year because I just feel like with all the NFT stuff and all the crypto, it just is getting more and more complicated, not to mention all the freelance stuff. So yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, my, my one thing that I've learned as somebody who did survive one audit when I had that same company and we made too much money to not get flagged, I guess, that one year. And because it was a Schedule C, it was it was thorny. Make sure you're reporting everything. It's just the one thing I would always say to everybody out there. You're, if you are somehow winning money in DFS, kudos to you. Make sure you're reporting that. Your crypto earnings, just put it on there because the one time you don't report something, that is when you are guaranteed to get fucked directly in the butt. And then they will ask everything uh, of your life, which is the uh, the not great part. So that's, that's my non-professional advice to somebody who is thankful 
thankfully survived one audit. Um, let's go and talk about Playmakers, Pete. And I guess so let's give the caveat up top or the explanation for why we're doing this is that Playmakers is a show that A, I don't want to be lost in the annals of time, but B, was also, it came at a time that was interesting with ESPN where they were sort of at a an impasse with their relationship with the NFL and had some experiences where they were going against the NFL a little bit more. And that was part of why they brought on Roger Goodell was to sort of tighten the, the grip on all the stuff and to make the partnerships, make them better, but better for the NFL really more than anything. And Playmakers was part of that where ESPN put this show on and then the NFL had the show killed after the first season because of what it covered. And Pete, as somebody who had no knowledge of Playmakers or at least, you know, only peripheral knowledge of it, uh, just the overall take on episode one, when you jump into this, do you immediately get why the NFL might not have been the most happy with its, uh, with its existence? Yeah, of course. It was like completely overly sensationalized. Like the my thing was it was shot like a soap opera. Like mm-hmm. I kept noticing the music. Like normally when you watch like take Hard Knocks or something like that would I'm trying to come up with anything remotely analogous would be like you have the music to like build tension and then it drops and then we build tension and the music comes back. This was just like tension building music literally packed throughout the show. It was like every scene had the highest stakes possible and it felt like they were filling a bingo card of just like every NFL taboo thing. And It was just like one after another after another. And I was like, this is unrelenting. Well, it's one of those things that I think was famous about the OC and what the creators of that show had talked about. Not that they have no correlation with playmakers. They didn't, they're not responsible for both Ryan Atwood and also the great things that went on to playmakers. But one of the issues they had was that basically because of the way Fox was at the time, they threw out all their good ideas in their first season. And then by the time season two rolled around, they were like, well, fuck, we just did everything because we were just hoping to stay on the air. And I kind of think that's what playmakers was too, where they're like, yeah, let's get every salacious thing possible. We'll have threesomes. We'll have Coke. We'll have uh, guys going off to do crack. We'll have PT. SD will have the old player. Maybe, maybe he's going to be juicing at some point. Like there's all the shit piled even up. The at coach, once. Even the coach is pissing blood. That's how bad it was. Is <laughs> everybody's having a tough time on playmakers. And that's the main takeaway, but here's what we're going to do for the recap. So you guys can play along. Uh, we would like it. If you watch the episode, obviously nobody wants to listen to a podcast and do homework. So I get it. So we're going to recap them about as thoroughly as we can and, and find a little beats of humor that went on throughout it and go through it. And uh, let's start it off. Playmakers episode one game day. And I have some questions that, we can hit on throughout, but I'll save them for the end. But I'll say the opener here opens up with a linebacker who we later learned named Eric Olshik is visiting an opposing player whom he paralyzed. The other player, not very understanding about being paralyzed, Pete, as I guess many people often will be. And he said, uh, I guess Olshik heard from the doctor about encouraging signs, and the player responded, I wiggled my toe, asshole. I can't even feel my dick. So, really getting out there right away. This is not your typical ESPN show with a, a paralyzed player who's really could have stand to be more magnanimous about all. And hang on, just so I understand, this was this was an opponent on another team, right? Yeah. This is the one that they kept flashing back to with him being traumatized over. Right, but I was like, so d- are they in the same city? Like, he can just casually go to the hospital uh, to mm-hmm. give him DVDs? Uh, that was, like, weird to me. So here's what I would assume, because they were playing in their home colors, that it was a home game, and this guy got paralyzed, and he just, I guess, stayed. Like, they were like, we can't fly <laughs> this guy out. Let's leave him in the hospital because he's paralyzed and he can't move. Yeah, I mean, I was just like dying laughing at him going like to bring him DVDs. Like it was just the like, obviously, it's the gesture that counts like going to visit him, but he felt like he had to bring a peace offering. And this guy was just not having it whatsoever. Um, That felt, I guess I was having a hard time suspending disbelief on that of just like, First of all, the hit was like a completely clean hit. <laughs> like if you did something dirty, like I get it, but it's like all of these guys know what happens that sort of feel this immense guilt 
about literally just doing your job in an ethical way, I was like, this is too much. So that's the part that I, I agree that was what jumped out to me the most because we see the replay hit over and over again because this guy is the linebacker's PTSD is such a big part of the episode. And it is the cleanest, most form tackly hit you've ever seen where it's like <laughs> helmet on the ball. He wrapped him up, brought him down safely. And it's it wasn't like like you see dirtier hits. Like who is the dude who always did all the, all the helmets helmet hits in the NFL that keeps getting suspended? Is it is it Prashad Breland? I, I may mix, mix was it the, up. Uh, the guy in the Bengals, right? What was his name? Yeah, it's bothering me. Somebody yeah. in the chat will know right away, I'm no, sure. No. Um, yeah. But yeah, like that's me is what that's the hit I need to see happen. I get they just kind of film football footage probably and threw it in. But yeah, like that's a tackle they would show you in like high school football where they're yeah. like, here's how you don't hurt your spine or your opponent is just this the way he tackled them. Yeah, um, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's yep. it. Um, so that's that's the uh, the one part here. Then we go to our we're really meeting all the key characters right away. Aging running back Leon Taylor getting injections in his knee. There's a shady doctor, or seemingly kind of shady doctor in the team draft as a replacement in the first round. And the first thing that jumped out to me, Pete, much like the bad tackling is that bad usage of draft capital by the team here. They should not have taken DH in the first round. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, you know, James Robinson isn't the uh, perfect comp for Taylor because, you know, James Robinson still is a young guy. But I mean, this is the Jags taking uh, Travis Etienne here uh, while still just having, you know, James Robinson right there. And now, you know, I'd like to imagine at Jags practice that Robinson and Etienne are squaring off in 40 races <laughs> to determine who is the better running back once and for all. That was so that was my other observation is why did he hey, why did he think he could beat the rookie in a 40 yard dash? Yeah. I think if there's anything you could beat him at like Oklahoma drills, sure, go head to head, bang helmets, do that part. But a 40 yard dash, not so much. And then what I landed on was that maybe for football players, something we don't know, maybe the 40 yard dash is like their equivalent of a duel because we've seen like, oh, like like Ty Tyreek Hill is challenging this guy to a race. We've seen Marquise Goodwin running that 40 yards of gold or whatever that was like that. We've seen this happen before. So maybe it's just a culture that you and I don't know as guys who didn't make it to the pros. I also love like it was almost like this language was known when he's like, let's roll like that. was It, it was like <laughs> everyone knows when you get in a beef with someone at the practice facility that let's roll means we're going to do a 40 yard dash where everyone lines up to uh, to watch it. Yeah, I he should have schooled him on something like let's do a quiz on how well we know the playbook or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were definitely better pathways to assert his dominance as a veteran <laughs> of the league. But no, he just and honestly, DH should have been faster. And that's something that I have as a later observation. But DH a little fat to be a first round running back also a little fat to be doing crack like there are a lot of things with DH that I didn't find like he's kind of the Lundale White I feel like out of all those guys yeah his lifestyle does not seem conducive to being <laughs> uh, a stud running back I feel like that's another just funny thing like now for these athletes just for how competitive it is like you lose your job like I mean I, I guess there's at some positions like these quarterbacks can get away with being a little out of shape but I mean like speed and athleticism are the name of the game for running backs. And it's just like, I'm sorry, you, you can't be doing Coke and like missing practice and stuff and expect to uh, be elite. Like, I, I just don't buy that. I, I would agree here, but you know, it was a different time. A simpler time was the early two thousands, I suppose. And uh, DH uh, showing of that simpler time. Uh, we see him in bed with two girls, unused <laughs> Coke on the table, which to me just read as wasteful too. So DH not only not in great shape, not only clearly has some character issues, but also just leaving Coke behind. I, I guess they got, he got what he wanted out of it. Like a lovely threesome for DH, but I also just enjoy like, it's just an average day in DH's life. And they really go out of the way to set that table early on. No, that was my favorite thing of like, 
like this is how crazy they want us to know the evening was that they had to place one girl facing one way on the bed and then the other girl facing in the other direction like things were so crazy we didn't even know which way was up and which way was down <laughs> i also think too maybe that's a pecking order thing where the other girl has to sleep like a dog on the bed closer to the feet <laughs> the other girl gets to take a pillow so that's he's the bottom bitch and then he leaves and he's giving her money and um <laughs> instead of like putting it on the nightstand she just like shoves it into the uh the linens there and he goes back to bed i also think and it's something i didn't put in my notes but now that i'm re i'm reliving the scene here hopefully you guys are having the same experience as we talk about this but the lineman guy who was his buddy like just kind of casually saunters into the room with like where he just had a threesome and and the coke line still freshly chopped up and unused like it just seemed odd to me that a he would turn on dh like he did by the end of the episode but b that he's just sauntering in with like the the sex smells like i don't know what's going on there well, no, I it weirded me out too because honestly, I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't until later in the episode that I realized he was also on the team. I thought right. he was just like his handler, like his guy, like who takes care of him, and that's why he would have access into his apartment to like help him out in these situations. That added up. And I was like, wait, this guy's on the team too, but he's just like paling around with the new rookie. Like, how did they become such good friends? And they're like buddies. And I think this is also a confusing part because I thought when I watched the show initially that DH is a rookie, but I think the way they structure it where like when Taylor comes back, he's like, oh, you had your nine months or whatever. Like, I think he's actually a second year running back, which I don't know that that matters, but I was like, that just seems odd. Like you had a year in the pros, like you've had this experience and yet you're still, again, sneaking off to do crack and you need your offensive lineman, buddy. And that's the thing too. Like if your buddy's this close and he's an offensive lineman, like close enough to come into your room and help wake you up amidst your, your threesomes and your Coke binges and all that he's not met, like friends enough to hang with him during a, a police escape and getting suspended one game yeah i that that was that didn't quite add up for me no there was i mean uh, shocker that some of these things won't add up but let's keep going here another thing that might not add up even the coach has health issues as pete talked about earlier peeing blood is perhaps a sign of his prostate or kidney issues and I just feel like the coach didn't need this. I know that they're trying to say like, oh, the coaches have stressful jobs. He can't even you know, take time for his health and all of that. But I will say if there's anybody out there, if you are peeing blood, that is prime concern time, really no matter what age you are. Yeah, I just, I, there's no one on this show that can just have things like coming along. It's like everyone has to have some like catastrophic ailment, vice, uh, or relationship issues. Like no, no one's getting off the hook here. What did you think of the coach, by the way? Because I, I feel like maybe by the end of the episode, you have more of a read, but I feel like he was generic in a way where like he could be a good coach initially, could be an evil guy. And then I think we learn he's a little closer, perhaps to the evil side by the end of the episode. Yeah, just about like how the casting and the way they shot him, I was getting more of the evil vibes. I was not getting Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights <laughs> vibes from this guy. Uh, yeah, and just the, every time like something was happening, he just had like a, a menacing scowl on his face. I guess when it was um, uh, Leon's birthday uh, at the uh, in the banquet hall or whatever, he showed like a little bit of you know being a fun loving guy, but for the most part, he was all evil business. Also, Drico out in the chat saying a certain famous recent Ohio State running back was known for taking coke in Columbus. Um, I wonder, I mean, obviously, we're not reporting this, we don't know this is not vetted though. I mean, if he had said reports say, I think we might have taken it more credibly. Uh, but I would say, I don't know which running back he's talking about. Is it are we talking Carlos Hyde? I, I honestly don't know who we who we're referencing here either. 
Hmm. Well, feel free to drop, feel free to call him out, Drico. We won't, <laughs> but it sounds like a credible report. And shout out to the chat too, playing along here. Uh, a lot of people here who did watch the show. We appreciate all you guys who did take this journey along with us. Um, let's talk about the next big issue here. So this goes right from the coach peeing blood to Leon's big struggle right now, which is that there is no cream of wheat and he is losing his fucking mind over it. And Leon, I feel like, um, I don't know if he's the most relatable out of all of them because it's hard to relate to an aging running back unless uh, you're the birthday boy, Frank Gore. But like, I felt like his issues were sort of meant to be the most relatable where he's just like, he's getting squeezed out. He's kind of like a Jack Nicholson in that movie where like they threw his stuff in the dumpster basically when he was retiring. Like I, it was sad for me with Leon and I know, I think I recall it does get better for him or at least, you know, there's more serious things, but just Leon to spend his life getting kicked in the dick. It seemed this entire episode. It is funny to think, you know, what is this 18 years ago where if you're writing a show, like the running back is the King, like who's going to be the prima Donna. Obviously if you write this show now, it's the quarterback. That's the prima Donna. He's the one that is mad that they don't have cream of wheat. Now, like a running back is upset that they don't have his like version of Sierra. They're like, whatever, we'll just go to the practice squad and get the next guy to come do your job. So I just thought that was funny that like the world was supposed to revolve around him uh, and that there were even like, catering to him um everyone you know showing him respect defaulting to him and then i was like sorry dude you're a running back i'm not buying this either yeah i agree and i i don't get his attachment to cream of wheat i feel like it's a perfectly <laughs> mediocre oatmeal like any other oatmeal would do the same job and i think with leon there are a couple other things that stood out to me his wife wanted him to prep for a broadcasting career but he wanted to keep playing and this is one of the things too or maybe in 2003 or in sort of the historical you know hero dies on his shield basically kind of thing of how we view football players maybe that's the case but now i feel like it goes the other way where these guys like they like playing for sure but the second they can get a cushy broadcasting job like they're dying to do that and i think leon the, the rare exception here yeah um you know he's he's dealing with a lot right now you know at home and as we're going to learn here with uh this reporter who uh sends him off to uh have quite the fantasies as well yeah the reporter lady um i I, so that was interesting so that was just fantasies right but i guess like he was close enough with the reporter girl that he maybe could have boned her or is he just assuming that he could have because he's a star player yeah i mean they did show it seemed like yeah some of obviously it was fantasy but they also showed her like placing her hand uh, on his thigh. And then there was the uh, one of his teammates in the locker room said that she does all of her reporting laying down. Uh, (laughs) So I think the implication was, is that she's known for cozying up with players to get scoops or whatever. So maybe I am getting the vibe that there was some kind of backstory or more to what this reporter had done. Oh, yeah. People saying Zeke in the chat and Claret uh, as, as their Ohio State running back. Yeah, I guess there are probably more credible guesses than uh, immediately came. Carlos Hyde, probably low on the list, in fact. Jeannie <laughs> Wells who... is another one that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, Really, anybody, I guess, was credible yeah. enough. Um, I, I also felt like the age jokes, to talk about Leon one more thing, like too many age jokes at Leon. Like, I feel like the teammates wouldn't care that much. And the coach is like ribbing him about it too. And they're giving him like a rocking chair and all this stuff. Like, I just don't think that would happen in real life. And I know once we start going down this rabbit hole of things that wouldn't happen in real life, you're probably going to find a whole lot of them. But I just feel like if you had the eight, the old player there, like, I don't think Frank Gore gets those jokes and he's actually 38. And like, you know, I really think that for the most part, they're like, oh, like, oh, it's cool. Like you're the old guy, whatever. They'll go to him for wisdom and stuff maybe. But I don't think they're just like outright mean to him in front of everybody yeah like when you think of that joke like the over the hill joke i normally think of it in two ways like someone who's actually like 55 or 60 or whatever or someone like if it was let's say it was like a young rookie 
you know, and he just like turned like 23 or 24 and you're making a joke like, oh, you're no, you're no longer uh, the, the young guy on the team. And it's like, you're still incredibly young. This guy, like who's kind of old for the NFL, but not actually old uh, in general, like the joke. It's not a joke you would make. There's no way yeah. you're doing a rocking chair joke for uh, how old did they say he was like 33 or 34? Yeah, I think I think so. Like he's definitely over 30, but I don't think, think that much over 30. So yeah, he's not that old. And too, like, I think it's sort of the thing too, where they know like the rookie running back or the young running back is there who's already getting more touches than him. Like, I just don't think they would be a dick to this guy who's been in their locker room for X amount of time. And is clearly like, you know, heralded as some sort of legend. It just seemed odd to me they would do that. But another thing that seemed odd to me in the dining hall scene is the rookies all had nicknames, including Mongo Duck and Cannonball. And then they're forced to sing a fight song while in just their jock straps. But then all the other players are cheering and applauding. And I have it noted here that it is both supportive and homoerotic. Yeah, this clearly they're trying to check the box of like the rookie hazing uh, stuff. But to me, like <laughs> how absurd those like G-strings or whatever they were wearing, like that felt like something that would happen in a players only meeting in a hotel room with just the players. I mean, this is like just at the buffet with all the team doctors and like the whole team. I was like, this seems oddly aggressive for a hazing and no one even like flinches. Like no one's even shocked. Like, oh my God, look at what they're wearing right now. They're like, yeah, this is just another week here at the team breakfast. I mean, that's the thing too with hazing. Like I know hazing is now obviously in a good way, uh, not quite as in vogue as in the past, but I feel like all the hazing things, like this is a story I don't, I haven't told on many podcasts or, or I think maybe ever, but uh, when I was in college at USC, I had gotten, I, there was one house I was rushing, didn't get a bid because I had a, a situation where some uh, girl drunkenly came on to me at sake bombing and then I refused her and then she spent the day crying or the rest of the night crying. It was a whole thing. Ended up getting a bid from another house at USC that was known for having an undercurrent of closeted homosexuality and then they had a hazing thing where they would make guys put objects in their butthole and do bear crawl bear crawls on the roof and i was like this is not for me and i feel like that wouldn't be the case now but i don't know if people out there know like hazing used to be very weird and very like kind of uncomfortably homoerotic yeah um i i figured i forget where i mentioned this on a show too or maybe we were talking about this like but it was another thing like remembering some hazing stories that i heard from when i was in college and or in high school and like thinking back and being like oh my god at the time you just like laughed and now i'm like oh my god that was truly truly awful and could have been traumatizing for someone for life so yeah the hazing stuff uh escalated very quickly and um I, I don't think we're being too woke when we say that uh, the hazing stuff of the 90s and uh, early 2000s was was way too far. Yeah. And I would say, you know, in general, I want to just have my nice bowl of cream of wheat. I don't want to see some dude's asshole right in front of me. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I just don't need that. So I would say that's one thing I would push back on for any pro teams out there who force uh, their rookies to do fight songs in the half nude in front of everybody at the buffet. Uh, Demetrius Harris pulled over by a white cop. And this is one that I still a tale as old as time for, unfortunately, for all of our friends out there who are people of color. Uh, hints of racism going that is seemingly assuaged by DH offering autographs and tickets. And I also thought to the approach of rubbing the coke into the carpet like that's like our level of rich i want to live at pete where like they're leaving lines of coke behind on tables they're getting rid of coke by rubbing into his jeans and onto the carpet like that is a way of handling coke for the cops that i was not familiar with you know it was uh checkoff's uh coke in the carpet though because he did try to retrieve it later in the episode when he was ditching on uh going into the stadium so i'm glad that paid off 
Yeah, there's uh, the Coke in the carpet. Always uh, one in doubt. Like it's like the the blues in the banana stand. There's always Coke in the carpet. That's <laughs> what you got to turn to. Um, the any other thoughts of the police exchange? Yeah. I guess I have the cops were about to arrest him and his pal for felony drug possession. And they flash back to the team owner DH uh, showing DH a tape of his drugging and sex that was going on in life that was recorded by an undercover cop who was investigating him. I don't know how he got into the house to film it, but. Um, just a weird exchange that I don't really know what to make of it. And I feel like I'm not the most equipped socially to know how to speak about it publicly. Yeah. That scene was like, I feel like it wasn't so over the top in that it was just humorous. It just felt like they were again, checking off the boxes of hitting their card of, uh, you know, the, the black NFL players getting arrested and having drugs in the car. Um, yeah. And even the way that played out with the cops, like, leaving and then you know putting them in handcuffs on the side and then letting them go like it all felt very disjointed yeah it all felt like how the process wouldn't work either where <laughs> like i feel like you're either arresting them or you're not you don't go like half arresting them and then you go oh never mind just a speeding ticket just so <laughs> yeah i just feel like either the fame thing would have worked or it didn't work and it just didn't fully ring true here we also have the linebacker old Schick, seeing a sports psychiatrist to remind him of the things that he loves about the game because he can only think about his perfect form tackle that paralyzed the player and i have to say the the tapping your head therapy granted i'm no expert of the therapy process i i've never seen the uh, therapist go like yeah just keep tapping your head and you're gonna get there yeah what if what if like every time i did a show like when i was talking or trying to get like my ideas i just did this it just everyone just had to live with me doing this all the time i think you would find a lot less followers on the deposit kingdom would be, would be my guess it would be you would have the ocd kingdom of people who also enjoy these weird vices for themselves while creating content yeah i mean it's just i i, I think like PTSD and stuff in general is is believable but like I also the stuff with his brother like did I miss something or do we understand why that was such like the stuff with the eye black in the locker room from when they played oh, together? You missed an important part. Yeah. So this is, uh, I'll skip ahead to this part, but the linebacker's dad was his high school coach made them work extra hard with no water in Texas practice, which is something yeah. that we knew in, I knew in high school. So I, this, they should have known. Now this I point remember this. Sorry. I forgot yeah. about it in out of order. Yeah. So the Corey Stringer death was around this time frame too. I, I think actually, let me make that make sure that's the case, but he was the guy who was doing um, ephedrine and working out or whatever, like, you know, like I guess we're doing because that helps keep your metabolism low. He died 2001. So he died basically because they weren't allowing breaks for during the Vikings practice. I think it was, and then basically got dehydrated. So I think they were trying to harken back to that, but yeah, basically coach didn't give him water. His brother died. And then the, and then old chick decides to both switch his number and his position to both honor his brother and remind his dad of how fucked it up. It was that he let his brother die. And um, yeah, like this guy had a lot of issues. I think it's really no denying that. Yeah. And I guess to give them some credit, it makes sense then why he feels so much guilt about that hit. Um, because at least we have this backstory kind of justifying it. Um, yeah, clearly he is being positioned as our protagonist, the guy that has a conscience that actually um, is trying to do the right thing. They also had the scene where he was at Leon's house. He was like a second father to those kids. So this is supposed to be the guy we're rooting for here, I think. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. And I don't know that that I actually don't remember if it holds up during the show. So I'm I'm re-seeing all the stuff again, but I would agree in this episode too, it does feel like Olshik is the one that we're supposed to relate to. Uh the other parts with him too, he um the part of the pregame, and, I, and some of this is gonna be out of order because I just want to make sure we're talking about the characters, I guess, in a logical way, but um the pregame prep of the other linebacker coming up to Olshik saying that he needs to be hit, and Olshik is like listening to his peaceful music on his headphones, <laughs> and then Olshik beats the shit out of him, and the guy is bleeding from his mouth, and he goes, That's exactly what i needed like what the fuck was that (laughs) right because that is another known trope it's like you know this guy plays best when he's really worked up and you know normally it would just be yeah you go and talk that shit they're steaming and then you walk away and the thought is they are going to take that out on the football field if he takes it out on you it just beats you to a bloody pulp how is that helping anything You're, you're supposed to have that pent up anger on the field and I thought it was, and it was weird too, because like, I thought it was something where like, oh, like he snapped and went too far and like beat the shit out of this guy. And then this guy can't play. And instead the guy just gets up and it's like, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Like you really were helpful for my process. And he's <laughs> gushing blood from his face. And I know football players are trying to clearly present like, oh, some of these guys are very thoughtful and incisive. Some of them are complete madmen who are out there. And I guess I just, I feel like even a madman would be like, why did you beat me up like that? That was unnecessary. <laughs> And the thing about it is they made it seem like this is a normal ritual. Like you got to go and get the, uh, the linebacker pumped up. Like how many beatings is this guy taking? Like once a week, he just has to get beaten to a pulp for the cause, the greater good. You're like, oh, sorry, coach. I'm out for six weeks because I had to punch this other guy in the face repeatedly and fracture my hand in the process. But board things that he's fired up for the game. Um, we also got Leon with the reporter lady part again. And I think this led to the part where she reported that uh, Leon is not going to be uh, retained on the team moving forward. And I guess he went to the coach's office. The coach kind of denied it, but didn't really deny it. And again, another thing where Leon comes off as a hothead. Also, the coach comes off as clearly some sort of little finger type with his machinations. And I think the net result really of that entire exchange is that like I feel bad for Leon, but I kind of don't like Leon now, and I also don't like the coach. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why I was saying about uh Olsik or whatever. It's like he's the only guy right now that's kind of easy to root for. I guess Leon's wife, <laughs> she yeah. came across as likable, but yeah, I don't in in these scenes like with the coach and Leon, I'm like, I don't I don't know who to root for, and I don't think I want to root for either of them. So I guess this is the question too, and, and this is something that I think ties to with the, the linebacker stuff where where Olsik, you know, has his father killed his brother by you know just not caring about him during in the in the prism of football and all that but i felt like watching this show too like the show would be good if these guys weren't as complex as they're trying to make them and yet everything is is seemingly going in the direction of like oh these guys are so complex they're so like uh they all have their histories and they're all figured and it's just like i don't know that i need that i, I think i would ask you Peter, somebody watching the show for the first time like did you feel like there was just too much of the background here like i think you could have just enjoyed a show like friday night lifestyle where it's like oh they're just having a good time playing football yeah, I feel like the writers are all over the place for which of these backstories they want to flesh out, which of these they're just going to have us connect the dots. Uh, I think that's what is so beautiful about this pilot episode is just the amount of shit that they threw against the wall is it's honestly mind blowing how much there is to talk about from this single episode. So speaking of the shit against the wall, DH and his offensive lineman's pals get uh, their lateness, gets the lineman suspended. DH is still not showed up and the lineman suspended for conduct detrimental to the team. And um, I think the uh, the part with the lineman, I felt like it was just sad. And I think they, he was clearly the guy being held up. He is a, a best friend to DH or seemingly at least a close enough friend to wander in his threesomes. And um, I, I guess any thoughts on the lineman? I just I, I felt bad for the guy really. Is the only, he's the only guy I think out of this entire show. Where I'm like, I just feel bad for him. I, he's got a bunch of bad situations at once. Yeah, I mean, obviously a rough spot, but I mean, if you're going to, you're going to hang around him, see, 
again, it goes back to that thing. I thought there would be like understanding from the coach. Like a lot of times these professional athletes, like they have their handlers, right? It's like, it would make sense. It's like, Hey, you're the one that's supposed to help DH stay on the straight and narrow, but it just seems like he's just, you know, part of the problem, you know, like he's not yeah. even getting any credit for what he's doing. So then it's like, what's the benefit to him of going around with DH if he's just going to get in trouble for shit too. And then DH has not arrived as we hinted at earlier because he had to go back to the hood to smoke crack and reflect upon his dead mother. And I just wrote classic pregame prep. Like, <laughs> I don't know how he gets fired up for the game here, but I guess the main thing that we should take away from the episode is that players get prepared in different ways. Sometimes you need to get beaten to shit by your teammates. Sometimes you need to go smoke crack in the hood and, and see kids wearing your jersey. And I, I guess I won't question it because DH is clearly getting results. Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the question is if he would have hidden more coke in the in the car there on the carpet could that have gotten him through you know if he just had a bigger hit there maybe then he could have parked the car and gone inside also you know again i'm not a huge uh upper drug guy necessarily but a uh, coke and crack like is it was that i don't know was there something to that too where like he couldn't get the coke so then he's going to crack like i i know they're supposed to be comparable things or obviously come from the same chemical base but pete i don't know your expertise on coke versus crack but what do you think the point is of him going from like he could have just stored a coke instead but instead he wanted to free base some crack yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was uh, the, just his fondness for smoking crack in the hood and he wanted to be back in that happy place. I, I can't answer that question. Trico oh, out in the chat saying, I prepare for underdog best ball drafts by smoking crack. I'm sure they would love to have that as part of their marketing tag. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my sponsorship is now over. <laughs> Let's talk about the coach's commandments here, where there were two commandments for him that he found to be very important. And his commandment number one is you play to win. Commandment number two, to win, you must be prepared. And that was his pregame speech. And I was <laughs> like, what is like, he's not quite Al Pacino in, uh, in any given Sunday. He's not quite any other coach, not quite coach Taylor, as we talked about. But in terms of a pregame speech absolutely awful one no game planning the inspirational part was also terrible i just feel like this coach uh peeing blood sure but <laughs> i really think there are a lot of reasons why he should not be a coach right now shouldn't you at least flip that order around first to win we need to prepare and then we go on the field and we play to win it just seems like it's kind of the snake eating its tail though you play to win but to win you must be prepared well now we're back to needing to be prepared coach so I, I'm, I'm completely lost it also just felt like from a writing choice like one of the commandments should have been like win at all costs or something because then it's like okay like this fits the theme of like when you're a playmaker you get away with everything that that's a line that dh said with the cops like i i get that stuff but like i just feel like they could like make the coach one way or the other. Don't make this wishy-washy thing and at least give him some substance because those commandments like quite literally mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> they're, they're the most like hollow, like sports kind of white noise uh, <laughs> comment that you could hear. Yeah. I mean, at least like with Friday night lights, we had something fun, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Like it felt unique. I mean, this coach, you play to win. That's what you're going to give us? Come on. Also, Willis points out a funny thing, too, I thought with the dialogue. Not 10 commandments, not three, two. Like, what happened to the other numbers? Like, why was, why were the choices 10, three, or two? Like, how about five yeah. commandments? Yeah. It's, it's more, it's closer to the Beatitudes of just doing others that you would have them do under you than it is to the 10 commandments, I think. But yeah, that's, that is very much true. Um, and then Olshik doesn't want to play. Coach is not happy. Then calls his sports psychologist and says that he's not paid to think. He's paid to get him to play. And I'll just say, that, you know, I, again, not. I'm no therapy expert. I did, um, did major or not major. I did uh, serve as a psychology club president in high school. So that's really my expertise here. Um, but I'll say this feels like a breach of ethics to be calling the psychologist and telling him uh, what the outcome wants to be. So I would say, Pete, I don't think that's how you handle mental health. 
Well, I, I mean, this one, there have been reports of uh, lots of them in the NFL, you know, with coaches, I've heard it specifically with Bill Belichick, kind of strong arming the medical staff to approve these guys, um, whether they're coming back from the concussion protocol or whatever, that these medical doctors feel the wrath of the coaches if they're not getting these guys on the field as soon as possible. So this plot maybe of anything in this actually felt kind of true. Like the coach psychologist, coach doctors kind of at war over how to handle the player's health. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I think this might get the award for most realistic thing. Maybe that's an award we can give out at the end of the episode. DH makes it to the game before kickoff. Coach doesn't want to play him, even though the owner does. And then coach already told Leon he was starting. And then he has to rescind it because DH is there. And this is another one for me. Just I did feel like Leon was a hothead earlier, but poor Leon just getting his chain jerked around here. And I, I definitely felt bad for him. Yeah, I mean, why can't we just uh, it's just do a running back by committee? But back back 18 years ago, it was one running back was getting 35 touches and the other was on the bench. I did say, uh, and I have in my notes here, maybe this is why every team has split backfields now because it avoids awkwardness if the star rookie is caught doing crack. So I think that's <laughs> just good planning by the coaches now. Like we as fantasy owners and managers and whatever, like we, we get frustrated by that. But at the same time, you just don't think about the fact that the, one of the running backs might be caught doing crack and just not be up in time. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Leon is, is a guy I would be willing to, um, you know, if I was in a high stakes money league and I needed to handcuff, um, I'm, I'm taking Leon in like the 12th or 13th round. I, I believe think. understudy is a term. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't bring that back. Lineman, the lineman is mad that he is suspended and DH is not the lineman threatens to tell someone and then hops instead to not go to the media and just flips everything and breaks everything in the locker room. And I didn't quite understand how this is what inspired Olshik to go out there and, and play. And I guess the quote that he had was play angry, take it out of them. That's what makes you great. That's what makes you a killer. I, I just didn't get why that was a connecting thought where he's like, oh, this guy's going insane and basically hulking out in the locker room, breaking training windows and all that stuff. And then Olshik is like, yeah, this is what I want. <laughs> yeah, it, well, they're clearly setting that up as like he is someone that he has this duality of like his kindness and his soft heartedness, but then to actually get to the level where he performs, like someone has to massively upset him. So it's someone, you know, screaming at his face or someone ripping up the locker room. Uh, I don't think this is sustainable for the amount of things you have to do to trigger him into playing well. So I, here are my post episode questions and I, I will give some awards to, and I think we'll, we'll kind of have to hone these as we go. Uh, but the questions that I had from this episode, the first one, and this is sort of an obvious one for the kind of show we do, but who has the most fantasy upside, I think has to be very easily DH. He is a star player. The quarterback is kind of a non-entity. So we have to assume it's not a passing offense. Uh, DH to me is the fantasy stud out of this entire team. Yeah, we need more skill position players introduced. Can we get a wide receiver, a quarterback in here so we can uh, get some other guys in the conversation? I guess I'll take Olshik in an IDP league as well. <laughs> Do we even know the team's name yet was another question I had because I was really racking my brain. I know they have a logo. I have no idea what they are. I think it's I saw Cougars. Okay, let's do a chat or this chat. Now, let's see. Playmakers team name because I don't recall it being Cougars. I feel like they were the Sharks, but I might just be thinking of any given Sunday. I thought I saw a sign in the locker room that said Cougars. You are right. Depicted the okay. lives of the Cougars. Wow. Good job, Pete. You're paying attention on a <laughs> level you. I was not. Uh, well, but, minus missing the whole part about uh, Olshik's brother dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually a, a core tenant here. So let's do, I'll add in a word here. Most unrealistic moment of the episode. What do you think that was? Oh my God. Um, there's so many to choose from here. I, I do think Olshik just like beating the shit out of his own teammate in the locker room 
in a like a mutually agreed upon like pumping up way, which is so absurd. I think that one is a strong one. I think I also think the cops arresting them than unarresting them was yeah. sort of unrealistic in a way that uh, to me, I just don't think made the most sense. But I think those are two strong candidates. So I'm, I'm inclined to go with your one. I just can't imagine a guy wanting to be beaten to the point of being bloodied. One punch, sure. One slap, sure. Multiple punches to the point where it looked like American History X of a skinhead doing something <laughs> not great. I would say to me, that's probably a bridge too far. Uh, who's the asshole of the episode is one award that I had here. And I, and I don't know which way to go with this one. I'm curious which way you would. I think it has to be Leon. I mean, anytime like you're throwing a fit because of the cream of wheat, like that's the writers telling us this guy's a massive asshole here, like being so threatened by the rookie that he has to challenge him to a 40 yard dash. He, uh, he seems like the, the typical prima donna asshole so far. All right. Let me, and actually, I, I will agree with you with on that one too. I think you maybe could offer up some other guys. DH clearly seems like a selfish asshole in his own ways, but I think there'll be episodes where DH could win the award. I would agree. Leon's the asshole here because like we always talk about guys like handling different situations with class. And if you just tore up your knee and lost your job, and then they have this high profile rookie, like coming in and not making waves and doing your job, like that's sort of what a leader would do. So I agree. And especially the fact too, Leon has his wife who just wants to be happy, wants to raise their kids and have him be uh, not getting concussed concussions every week not getting knee injuries and instead he's just like no i have to go out and play and, and race this young man and lose him <laughs> like, like he is he is the asshole um an award for a moment that made the nfl most mad would be my question for you and i think the one i think there's a lot of things that they could point to here but i think the one that would make them the most mad would just be the fact that dh is waking up with women and coke and i think that's the stupidness of the nfl that clearly is something that like out of all things that happened probably the most realistic moment of the episode amidst all the things but i bet them seeing that they're like dude we are players they can't be perceived like this even though that's exactly how we perceive them anyway Right. Like, you know, one of the most damning things probably is like, even just like the player getting shot up with the cortisone stuff, like some of the actual medical stuff and the implications, even in that should be the most concerning because it's actually the truth of what's happening and, and not a, a good thing. But yeah, I guarantee the, it was the crack and the Coke storylines that they didn't want to have their brand associated with hardcore drug use like that. Oh, some good candidates from the chat, too, for the most unrealistic moment. The linebacker just deciding that his PTSD is fine and he can play. Uh, going above the coach saying he pissed blood. Uh, the owner deleting the incriminating footage. <laughs> so there there are, certainly are a lot of unrealistic things here. I have to say that I would give the actually let's let's do this award too. the cool bro of, of the show award goes to the owner just being like, hey, man, like I get what you're doing here. Just take it easy. I suggest you, <laughs> you just chill out with it. And then no real punishments, no serious nature of it. I feel like that's that's kind of the cool dad I want my NFL owner to be. I love how he pops out the VHS tape and is, you know, just kind of taking it. Like there wasn't anything like with even breaking it really hard. He's just ripping it out. Um, yeah, he's the, uh, he's the chill dude. He, he definitely getting like Jerry Jones vibes from him mm -hmm. of like, Hey man, I've been there. Trust me. We've all, uh, done a rail of Coke off of a stripper in a bathroom. <laughs> uh, just don't do it again. All right. We need you out there on the field. I would say too the fact that he like clearly was pushing uh, them to play DH even though like the coach would have been perfectly content to play Leon instead like really just a bro all around the owner loves DH and I think that's something that that's what you want from your bros especially when they're paying millions of dollars a year it's true it's um, true uh, the last word I have is playmaker of the episode but are there any other silly ones you want to throw into the mix that we can probably revisit weekly um yeah I mean maybe yeah, I'm trying to think of something with the uh, the rookies, um, you know, with the uh, the dance there. In a lot of ways, they were kind of the playmakers of the episode. They just uh, they got it done right there in the uh, in the breakfast buffet Maybe dining we'll, hall. 
we'll say that's the teammate bonding of the episode. Teammate, I guess, yeah. Because I feel like that will be a thing that occurs a lot. And honestly, I, I did feel like, sure, it's embarrassing for those rookies, but they were really being applauded and cheered in a way that I thought was nice and positively reaffirming. So I think they get the teammate bond in the episode. To me, the playmaker of the episode has to be DH. You talk about a guy who uh, traveling all over the place. He's he's fucking two girls at once. He's doing coke. He's going to take time before a game to go do crack in an abandoned house that while thinking about his dead mother dying, that he still shows up to the game. And we have to presume plays pretty well. I feel like DH really sums up everything here. He is the playmaker of the team in a variety of ways, and he is throwing a lot of content out there to digest. I'll give an honorable mention to Olchik, though, because think about this. He's going to the hospital, dropping off DVDs. He's going to Leon's house, playing fun games with his kids. You know, he's going to see a psychiatrist. You know, he's getting in fights in the locker. I mean, this guy is absolutely everywhere. Uh, I would say him and uh, and, uh, Demetrius are, are neck and neck. Yes, I think that's the old chick one is a good one in terms of pure just going to location. Certainly old chick was all over the map on this one, but an enjoyable first episode. Oh, scenes that wouldn't be on TV. That's actually a really good one. Yeah. Uh, okay, what would what would not be on TV today? That's actually a good question. I mean, I guess it's like, it's none of that, like any of that that was in that show, I think could be on TV. Isn't it more the question of like, is there even more like, is there anything that the NFL like would have allowed on this show on ESPN Ooh. now? Hmm. So I, I think, it, okay, let, that's, so those are like two separate questions, but I think yeah. they're both good ones. The scene that wouldn't be on TV today, I think they just wouldn't do the psychiatrist part. Like, I feel like that's one where they would be like, oh, we can't like make mental health look like a joke. So I feel like that's one they wouldn't do. And that's one that I think, like, I agree with you, like the crack, the whatever, the 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 whoring and the coke and all that, that stuff would still be there. But I think they would go like, oh, we, we can't make mental health out to be like a joke. I And I kind of, I agree here too, on that same wavelength, the mental health and the hazing, Um, I could see that that hazing thing not being a part of it. Although I will give them credit, like you said, how they handled it. Like it was what they were wearing was, uh, you know, they were debasing themselves, but there was this not like, they weren't like throwing shit at them or like treat like they were celebrating it in a way that I feel like maybe you could get away with it, how they wrote that. Yeah, like it could be like comedic fodder amidst an episode where there was not a lot. Um, the scene that would make the NFL the most happy Boy, that's that's a tough one. I I feel like for the NFL would be like, oh, the coach ignoring his pissing blood and just showing up to work, clocking in, still the team. Like I think they'd be like, yep, that's the kind of guy, that's the Belichick type that we want to see. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe uh, the the players doing a forty yard dash to settle their beefs. <laughs> they, that's how they want all beefs settled. That's, actually, that's probably a really good one. That's when they're like, can we get a forty yard dash scene in every episode? Because that's really where we think the brand is. So that is it. Um. I, okay. I think we got some structure to move forward here. So next week will be episode two. Next episode is the one that we teased uh, last week. The Piss Man is the title of episode two, and um, it is going to come out strong. Uh, we'll tweet the links to the episode out. We also have one that I gave Pete a VIP one where it's all seven hours of the episodes in one and does not have the watermark on it. So if you had an issue finding the episode, we'll make sure to link to both of them so people can check those out. But any final thoughts, Peter? You just want to do some plugs and get out of the way. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited to uh, to keep watching. I, I know no spoilers or, or anything, so I will be enjoying it. And uh, yeah, I would say hop in the Deposit Kingdom Discord and the Splash Play uh, channel. We can talk more about it. I'm sure you guys have some other things that uh, we might have missed uh, that would be fun to discuss. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep the conversation going in there.
Yeah, follow at Peter Rovers at follow at Chris Bags. Make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod as well. As we talked about, we're following back everybody on there because that's the kind of community we want to have on here. Make sure you're all subscribed to Splash Play on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Apple Podcasts in particular, help us out a bunch and throw us five stars in our view. That is something that we greatly appreciate. And uh, maybe we'll do some prizing for that coming up in uh, in the coming months. But right now, just give us some love here and go give us five stars and review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate all of you guys. Tune in next week for our episode two recap. We'll see you guys again soon. Enjoy your week.